0: Hey fam, it's me, here to kick off the first episode of season four, I cannot believe it. I'm airing it a little early, March is Colon Cancer Awareness Month, but when I heard her story several months ago on Clubhouse, I was so inspired by it that I wanted to bring it to you as the first episode of this season. She's been battling colon cancer, something that you don't see in people her age, although it's more prevalent than we might think, while she's also had to go through a divorce and raising two little ones on her own. For some of you, it will be inspirational and for others, I'm hoping that you can find yourself in her and know that no matter how difficult the road may be for you right now, you are not alone. Take a listen and happy season number four. Hello, hello and welcome to In My Shoes. It is a podcast for women of color where we talk about the issues we are facing every day, y'all. And I am your host, Karen Davis-Thompson and the guest that I have today I have been really looking forward to this interview Uh, just listening to a little bit of her story that I heard on Clubhouse Um, I told y'all that um, Clubhouse is my new gym I've been meeting some really great people there was truly inspiring and unique you guys know I'm all about unique stories um, about the journey that we women of color are taking and so I wanted to interview her her name is Zykesha Destin I'm gonna have her say hello and we'll get started hi Zykesha how are you I am awesome, and you? I am doing great, excited that we were able to make this work. Um, so why don't you tell the audience a little bit about who you are?
1: Okay, Um, I am um, 35 years old. Um, I am a mom of two young, active boys. Um, my youngest just turned five. My oldest will be turning 11 um, in a month or so. Um, basically, um, my occupations, I'm a dispatcher for the fire department. Um, in October 2017, I was diagnosed with stage four colon cancer. Um, I had been diagnosed three times and had been on life support at one point. Um, and also going through a divorce in the middle of that, um, so becoming a single mom, um, battling cancer, um, thank God with with God I made it through. Of course, um, but yes, that's just the gist of it, and all the extra little stuff that comes with life. <laughs>
0: And I know that you had mentioned on Clubhouse that you did have a form of cancer, obviously in this space we were in, we didn't get it to get into more detail, but, um, I know you had said that it was not breast cancer. You said that a lot of times that's what people automatically assume, right? That you are a breast cancer survivor. Is that correct?
1: Absolutely. Um, which is why I want to be a voice for, um, people with all types of cancers, um, automatically when, um, people hear that you are a survivor or that you're going through chemotherapy, they automatically assume, um, breast cancer. Um, and that is because breast cancer is the one that is acknowledged so much, um, these days. Um, so, I'm starting an organization Dare to Share Your Color to have people with every type of cancer ribbon share their colors, you know, breast cancer is pink. And so um, people think that all cancers are acknowledged or the awareness is in October when every month with the exception of August, there are different type of um, cancers um, that we bring awareness to um, with their own ribbon colors. So mine is colon cancer and um, colon cancer awareness month is March. And the ribbon for colon cancer is blue.
0: And I know that um, it's so fitting that we're having this conversation. I didn't know that it was colon cancer, obviously, Um, But I did have a doctor on who wanted to bring awareness to colon cancer back in March because she felt like, um, especially in communities of color, uh, with a lot of things, we weren't talking about it enough and that there was this, um, a lot of misinformation around it. And I know for you, you know, tell us what was it like to get the diagnosis and how old were you when you were first diagnosed with colon cancer?
1: So, (laughs) For me, I have to um, go way back. My um, oldest, I'm sorry, my youngest is turning five. He just turned five. So prior to, so I want to say maybe about seven years ago, I started having small symptoms um, of the cancer. It may not have even been fully cancer at that point. I was um, really anemic. And I remember um, one day we have to get um, physicals through um, the county through my job and the county physician called my mom and you know was like her hemoglobin is really really low she needs to get to a hospital and get a blood transfusion or um, she would just pass out and I didn't know that was the beginning of it and so you know they do a checkup but not really it's like hey what's causing your blood level to go low kind of thing but there was not really much to it because when they because colon cancer was initially there was a myth of colon cancer being an old person's disease (laughs) an old person's cancer so doctors would never look in the direction of colon cancer for a woman that's in her late 20s early 30s and so um i was anemic and um they were like what's going on and i was like i don't know i'm having migraines they're like well you're you're not getting enough blood to you know your brain and so forth and so i left the emergency room they gave me a blood transfusion i left the emergency room and that was that there was no follow-up you need to see you know um, a hematologist there was nothing to that and it wasn't until I got pregnant with my youngest that um my hemoglobin was going low but I didn't know it because the symptoms are being tired all the time when when you're really anemic and I worked a lot of double shifts and I worked night shift at that time so I was always tired <laughs> and um I remember calling, you know, the doctor's office was like, you need to go see a hematologist. Your your blood level is a six and you're six months pregnant. And I remember calling to make the appointment and the receptionist was like, honey, you're not coming here. You're going to an emergency room. And I was like, what? And I went and um, they were like, what's causing your blood level to go low? And they could not figure out. And it kept going low. The more iron infusions they gave me when I was pregnant, the lower it kept going. And there's not many tests you can do when you're pregnant. And I remember right before the day of my C-section, it went low again. And you have to have a certain number in order to have surgery, major surgery. And so they gave me all these antibiotics and they were like, okay, you know what? We're gonna go ahead and we're gonna do the C-section because you can't need the baby in there. It wasn't until a year afterwards, like I kept having back pain and I kept going to my primary and I said, I'm having this back pain. And when I go to the restroom, something is not right with my stomach. And so I was diagnosed with irritable bowel syndrome and I was given ibuprofen for the back pain. And I was taking so much ibuprofen and Tylenol for a year. Because my back was just like really bad. And they were like, well, maybe it's the epidural you had, excuse me, the epidural. And I was like, okay, it makes sense. Well, a year after I had my son, I was nursing him the whole time. And I had this weird pain right up under my right breast. I went to work with that pain. And I was like, something's not right. And so I was not going to go to the emergency room. My supervisor forced me. And they were like, well, you have gallstones, so we're going to have surgery in the morning. And they told me, they said, but you also have a mass on your liver. And the mass could be benign. Don't worry about it. I never paid attention that I was admitted onto the oncology floor. Never paid attention. And 10 minutes before the surgery for the gallstones, um, The doctor walks in and says, you have a tumor. And I was like, okay, I have a tumor. Okay. And he was like, it's colon cancer. And I was by myself. And time stopped. And the first thing I said was, God, you just gave me these kids. And now you're taking me from them. It felt like a death sentence. And. I was confused because I had been going to the doctor the whole year and it was just like it's not adding up and what hurt even more was you know I had the doctor call my mom um and tell her over the phone she was on her way to the hospital and thank god somebody was with her because she totally just freaked out um She was taking care of my dad, who was bedridden from Parkinson's at the time. He just passed away in February. And it was just like, wow, like, what do you say? And I was thinking of who to call myself. And I was like, I can't call my sisters because I'll cry. I won't get the words out. So I called my best friends since sixth grade. And I was like, they just told me I have cancer. And so everybody's confused because we're like, what? what happened to the gallbladder situation they never there was never a gallbladder situation there was never no (laughs) gallstones the pain that I felt was the liver from I had lesions all over my liver and the pain from the liver was radiating to my back so that was the back pain and it was hard for me being in that hospital it's depressing Sitting here by myself, just crying, but God is so faithful. He kept sending doctors and nurses in who was just speaking life into me and was speaking about how God is so much bigger than cancer.
0: And how old, how old were you when all of this started? Like how old were you when you, you ended up in the hospital and they're giving you this terrible diagnosis? How old were you then?
1: I was 30 years old. I think I was 30, 31. 30 or 31, and my doctor said, every doctor has said that you, they would never have looked for a cancer diagnosis in a fertile 30-year-old woman.
0: Which I think is so telling of the the, the medical system here. It's just assumed, like, why ask the patient, you know, they're asking you, well, what's, what's making your, you know, hemoglobin so low? Like, like you're supposed to know, <laughs> you know? I mean, Was there ever any explanation for why they didn't run any tests when it's like, oh, you're going to the emergency room because you need, you know, a transfusion or you need this or that? There was never any discussion of why no tests were run at that time. Nobody ever explained that to you?
1: No, it it, it was not. And they would do the normal test in the emergency room of everything that they think they should be looking for. One thing about the medical field is, you know, I always say that I feel like they're making like an educated guess, (laughs) you know, on what is wrong with you, you know, they they put you in this box of it have to be along the lines of this, 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 based on her age, her history, her weight, you know, you know, her, her nationality, all of those things is like you're put into a box And so they examined me for what they think it could have been at that moment. But cancer was never one of the things they looked at. Another thing that I did not realize is that um, when you go get your physical, they're not even checking for cancer markers, which I think is something that should be checked for, but it goes back to the insurance company you know, what the insurance wants to pay for within a physical, but I found it crazy that they don't even check for like your cancer markers to see, um, where you're at. So the only explanation that I was given for years of, I guess a misdiagnosis, um, was that they would never look for cancer in the colon cancer, excuse me, in a young fertile
0: woman. And at that time, was it stage four? That's what you were diagnosed with stage four? Yes. I was diagnosed with
1: stage four the first time and, um, the second and third time as well. The first time I was advised that my hormones probably made it go to a stage four because there was the pregnancy and then I breastfed for so long. Um, I was told that if I probably did not breastfeed for as long as I did, it probably would not have been a stage four, because um, I breastfed my son for over, he was over one, you know, over a year old when I still was breastfeeding him. I um, Actually, was hilarious is I was the only one in oncology asking for a breast pump. And they were like, you need a breast pump? I was like, yes, I'm full of milk. I need to get it out. Um, And I was told then at that moment that I had to stop nursing my son.
0: And what else did they, what did they tell you the treatment would be? What did they say they thought the prognosis was? Um, How did all of that work? And then I want to get into um, the divorce and taking care of two babies while you're going through all of this. But what did the doctors tell you to expect uh, once you had a moment to sit with this heavy diagnosis?
1: Um, so my first appointment, um, I went to the oncologist that the hospital um, referred me to. And I love like we have an ongoing joke about him because every question you ask him, his answer was facts and evidence shows this like he would not give an opinion about anything, a personal opinion. And he was telling me about chemotherapy that some people go and they run and they they go to the gym and they go work and they do all these things while going through chemotherapy. And I had witnessed that. So I thought it to be true. I was like, oh, okay, so good. I'm going to be able to take care of my kids and so forth. And um, I ended up changing from that oncologist to another one, um, my current one, who is phenomenal. And He told me, No, you're not going to be able, there's a lot you're not going to be able to do. And so I was told that I would be doing aggressive chemotherapy. And so we did not have anyone in the actual immediate family that we knew of who had dealt with cancer and chemotherapy, but I had some friends who had breast cancer, and so they were just telling me about what chemo was for them, but it was so different from anything I could have perceived, um, anything I could have read up on. My first chemo was super hard. I remember leaving there crying um, because I was in pain. I was um, sick and it just became a thing of like it traumatized me in a way then I had to get these painful shots afterwards after chemotherapy because my white blood cell counts went down so going through that every other week was hard um chemotherapy literally was a whole week of my life every other week and It's like I will feel sick that off week. And once I feel good that one day, it's time to go back again. So I was told I want to do um, 12 rounds of aggressive chemotherapy. Um, Then I would have to have surgery um, to remove majority of the lesions and tumors from my liver the first time around. And so I did 12 rounds of aggressive chemo and 70 percent of um my liver was removed um it was a huge surgery um they'll tell you like you know if it was an older person they probably wouldn't be able to do it but like oh you i was told you're young you're gonna be fine Nothing's gonna happen and after that surgery i started having internal bleeding and from there i went on life support Um, my body started rejecting the fluids and everything that they were giving me. Um, my family was even told to say goodbye to me. I had a lot of fluid in my lungs. I remember as well. Um, I just remember like not being able to breathe. That is like the most traumatizing feeling ever. Um, so I went on life support. Um, for my lungs and for the internal bleeding and um, the doctors told my family it was not looking good and to tell me goodbye even my son they tried to FaceTime my oldest to um, talk to me to get me to come out of it and he even told him he said my mommy is dying and it still hurts me to this day of just like, you know, all that he's witnessed and seen and been through with this whole thing. Like cancer is one of those things that it changes every it changed everyone, but it changes your life in so many ways.
0: And how long were you on life support? How how long did that go on for you?
1: I believe it was. Probably almost two weeks, I believe. Um yes, it was almost two weeks. I remember telling my son I'll be gone for four days for the surgery. And it was about two weeks by the time I went home. Um yeah, so it was almost two weeks.
0: And now, um when you got this last diagnosis, how long have you been dealing with? Um, your current cancer diagnosis?
1: Um, since last year, March of last year.
0: So I know you said that you've been dealing with this current diagnosis for several months now, but how does it work? Is it that you are considered, you know, you're in remission and then something happens and they realize it's come back. Explain that to us a little bit, please.
1: So basically... Once you do your, um, for example, um, you get a treatment plan. And so in your treatment plan, they may say, okay, you're going to do 12 rounds of aggressive chemotherapy, and then you're going to do surgery. Um, sometimes they'll split up the chemo. They will may do six rounds surgery and then six rounds on the back end just to make sure that they gotten it all um, but once um, all the cancer is either taken out or it's not appearing on the scans um, you are considered uh, cancer free um, or in remission and so they don't consider you cured until you've gotten um, scans for a few years that come out clear um one of the ways that they will know if cancer has come back is if something is going on with you like you may say for example the second time that I got diagnosed I kept telling I was like I'm having pain by my liver area well the surgeon was like well we just operated on your liver so yeah you may have a little pain there and I was like no like this pain is is a little different. It hurts like I'm, I'm in excruciating pain. And um, after convincing the surgeon that I was in excruciating pain and more scans need be done, it was found out that yes indeed the cancer did come back um, to my liver and the second time my right lung. And um, so that's one way is if you say hey I'm having pain or you know if something's going on with your body you know they'll go back in and they'll do scans immediately but usually once you're done with your chemotherapy and your um or your surgery and they scan you and it's clear um they'll scan you probably like every 3 months in the beginning just to make sure every 3 months and then they'll spread it out from three months, then you go to six months, and then you may go to like, you know, once a year kind of thing. Um, But the main way is through scans and through you knowing your body. With, With anything, cancer, heart disease, whatever, you have to be your own advocate. And so like you asked me earlier about you know, do they do anything else after, you know, me, after them find out I was anemic um, in the hospital years ago. I wish I would have been my own advocate to say something is not right. You know, something's making my hemoglobin go down. You need to refer me to a doctor. You need to, you know, like we have to be our own advocates. We can't just stop at what the doctors say because, let me just be honest, to some doctors you're only a number. You may have some doctors that may see you as human, but honestly, you're a number to most doctors. So I usually with every specialist, every doctor that I see, I make them see me as a human. I go in and I talk about my boys. You know, I tell them I have two beautiful active kids. You know, I'll even show them pictures of my kids and um, the ones that have performed surgery on me, I would show them, like, these are my babies, you know, these are my kids, these, when you go in and do this surgery, please think about my babies, that have to come back home to them, don't just see me as a number, but you have to speak up about what's going on in your body, and make them see you as human, like, don't just throw Put me off to the side, I'm telling you that something is wrong.
0: And I think it's really telling that even after you'd already been diagnosed, that it's still, oh, well, we operated in that area, so it'll probably be sore for a while, instead of, okay, let's go in, you know, and uh, take a, a closer look, let's look again. Uh, and it's so true, several of my guests have talked about that, the importance of being your own advocate, uh, because sometimes they don't take us seriously Or we're seen as people who can uh, handle more pain. They think black women handle pain better. Or, you know, I always, I've mentioned it before. It fascinates me when I think about the fact that somebody, of the caliber of Serena Williams, who had to say, I I suffer with clots, something is going on after she had her baby. Like she had to really labor with them. Oh, you just had a baby. That's what it is. No, I need you to test. And had she not done that? you know, her, her experience could have been completely different. She may not have been here today. And she's Serena Williams. So I can totally understand and see what you're saying that um, they tend to not sometimes uh, not, you know, I'll, it's just a generalization, but uh, they don't always want to listen. Um, even after you, have it just, it's amazing. Even after you've already been diagnosed, you would think that they uh, would do a better job of that. Uh, and, and I hate to make this pivot, but I wanted to talk about life as a single mom and what it was like going through a divorce with all of this how did you handle that how were you able to keep your spirits up
1: um so first
0: um my I'm still going through the divorce
1: so people laugh because I call him my future ex-husband um it was it was very hard um because this is somebody that I was truly in love with and um honestly I had put his happiness and him before myself and so I had to sit down I feel like it was I was in a bubble with just me and God and I was going through this hurt that no one could even realize um I had gotten low self-esteem because my body was changing because of the treatments, um, the treatments and, and I was on steroids for years. Um, in order to, in order for my body to handle these treatments, I had to get steroids. And so there was weight gain, even though I wasn't eating. And, um, Last year was the first time I had lost all my hair. And my self-esteem just went to an all-time low. I was really depressed. And there are some days still that I deal with some of the depression, not because of the relationship. Like, I've overcome that. And through therapy, through Jesus, praying, therapy, lots of therapy, and just having people in your corner that you can speak with who don't get tired or don't say well if it was me I would do this well if it was me I would do that no a lot of people don't go through cancer treatment divorce and becoming a single mom all at one time it is something that I would have never imagined for my life um when I married him, I married him for better or for worse, and you know. And I just, if the tables were turned, you know, I would have been there for him every second of the way, every step of the way. He would never had to ask. Um, and even though I had support from my family, my close friends, my job, my church. I had all the support who stepped in and helped with my kids, you know, and they helped with me. Um, I hid, you know, I tried to hide like what was going on and I had to at some point say it's either my life or I'm going to look at what he's doing and focus on that or I need to focus on living. And so I chose me um, within it. So it was very hard. And especially to the kids who, you know, were used to all of us being in a household together. Um, I thought about their mental health and say, okay, I can't trash their dad. I can't talk bad about him. I can't do these things because their mental health is important and to this day he's their superhero and I'm okay with that because they've already been through so much so there were times I had to hold stuff in and pray and pray and pray some more and pray some more and I did a lot of crying um but my my self esteem like I started I learned how to do makeup. I used to hate makeup. I started learning how to do makeup. And I would, you know, get these head wraps and these earrings and match, you know, um, a graphic t-shirt with some makeup to make me feel girly, you know, um, as I was going to chemotherapy or going out. Um, But it was a lot to, to process. And to be honest, I still have not processed all that has happened
0: even from day one of dealing with this journey. I'm still processing. And I think it is so um true what you said that, you know, hearing you talk about, you know, I got into makeup and I um, you know, got into prayer and therapy. I think it is so true the importance of choosing your own needs, especially at a time like this, when you're going through something so serious. And I know that it has to be difficult because along the way you do sometimes lose people who almost for lack of a a better way to say it, they don't want to talk about that anymore. Um, And to be able to allow your boys to still have whatever relationship with their dad. And I've always said that, you know, the kids will figure it out for themselves. They don't need you to point it out. Right. I think that at some point, they'll figure it out. And if they ask questions to be open and honest with them. Um, And so I think all of that will help them to hopefully to be able to process it because it has to be hard for them too. what have you told them about what you're going through and what do they understand about your cancer diagnosis?
1: So when I was diagnosed, my son was, um, going to, um, this new charter school and the school was so excited they were excited about the vision that they saw for him okay in that school and i remember when i got diagnosed um i went to the school to have a conversation with them i said i don't know how this is going to affect him he does not really know what cancer is. And with this being said, I'm just letting you guys know in advance because I feel like this is the right thing to do. I don't want things to start happening and you guys are like, wait, what's going on? Let me tell you everything now. Even when uh, my husband and I separated, um, initially I went and told them, you know, so that, If anything started happening with him, our behavior, they would know how to, you know, they would know why. They would know the why behind it. What he's seen with me go through chemo. He's heard me scream out in pain from the shots I have to get afterwards. So he went from an honor roll kid to an F student. And it was because He just would sit at school and not do his work. He didn't act out. He just would not do anything. And I believe his mind was just so clouded. And I had to get them to understand that
0: he's going through more than some adults are going through right now. Uh, and I hadn't thought about it until you said it, how do you really explain it? You know, in their minds, it's like a cold or something and you'll be sick for a little while and they'll give you medicine and then you'll feel better. Um, if you had to give some advice to a woman who's just been diagnosed, maybe she's a single mom, um, You know, maybe she's got a lot of other things that, she're going through, that she's going through in her life and she gets the diagnosis, whatever type of cancer it is, whatever type of sickness, What advice would you give to how they can hold on and be strong throughout all of what they're going through?
1: Um, First, you have to have the will yourself to live. And and not only the will, but you have to have your why. And so I would take all these pictures (laughs) of my kids and videos of my kids and take them with me to whatever treatment, whatever hospital, surgeries, or whatever, because I know that we are going to live our best lives. Like, our ladder is going to be better than our greater, and so I hold on to that, to my faith, you know, and the promises that I know God has for me, but a woman who has to surround herself with a male or female have to surround themselves with positive people who will speak life back into them. Um, You have to speak life into yourself as well. You have to speak life into yourself and also speak life to your kids and have your kids speak life back into you. You know, get them something to hold on to. Things are going to get better. It's not going to always be like this, you know, Um, because I'm a person of faith. I, you know, I will always remind my son of God's promises for us and for him and who they're going to be. Also, you have to find different outlets. (laughs) Just saying for me, like, I'm going to help other people not go through the trial and error that I went through. And just remember that you're, you're beautiful going through this. It is so hard with cancer treatment to feel beautiful because of all that is happening to your skin, your body, your hair, even your teeth. I had teeth that were taken out recently, six at one time. So, you know, my smile is not the same. Um, but there are ways around it. You know, I still have my life. So I look at that.
0: That is so true. That's a wonderful way to end. Um, I've never met you in person, but you are a beautiful soul and I've been following you on Instagram and I'll be sure for people to uh, be able to follow your journey um, and to be inspired by what you are doing every day. Um, Just raising your kids, living life and bringing awareness to um, something that I'm sure so many people are going through and may be suffering in silence. And so I hope this gives them some peace that they're not alone and that they uh, will stand strong in their truth and what is best for them to do. Um, Zakisha, I just wanna thank you for being my guest and for taking this time, hiding out from your kids so we could do this call, I know as a single mom that had to be hard. <laughs> but you made it, girl. You made it work. Oh. <laughs> so I just you made it work. I'm proud of you. You made I, it work. Oh, made it I was work.
1: like, uh, he found me. He found me. Oh my god, there he is. It.
0: It is not a problem, girl. You are a single mom making it do what it do. So I am just excited that you were able to take this time. And so that's all the time we have for today. If there's anything you want to hear us talk about on in my shoes, you know what to do. Hit me up at KDT at shoes today.com. That is KDT at in my And until our next episode, be blessed.